Warning, the Motion Picture Association of America requires that we inform you that this episode of Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies contains massive spoilers that could ruin a first-time screening of the film covered in this episode. So, if you don't want to know that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's that Goose in Top Gun, that is really Kaiser Sose at the end of The Usual Suspects, or that Bruce Willis was a the whole time in The Sixth Sense, then proceed with caution. Powered by Transistor FM. Grab your popcorn, silence your phones, and tell your friends to shut up. Do not adjust your projector settings because what you're about to hear is real. The Derek Duvall Show presents Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies. Prepare yourself for insight and honest reviews from a married couple with varying movie tastes. Hot takes, hotter insights, and news you can use. Now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Mindy and Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hey there. Hi. Hey. Hello. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies. We are back with another fantastic episode. Mindy, welcome back to the show. It's been a few weeks. Tell us all about the new episode that we're going to be talking about today. Well, Derek, we are going to be talking about your number one most anticipated film of 2023, the box office smash hit at this point, Oppenheimer. I know it was not your number one smash hit, but my number one smash hit. Well, it was your number one anticipated film. Yes, yeah, true. It was my number one anticipated film. Number one anticipated film on your list is? It's not my number one most anticipated film, but I'm very excited to see Barbie very soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes. I, we did not, yeah, we did not opt to do Barbenheimer because one of these is three hours long and who has time for that? Exactly. <laughs> but, so yes. you know, more power to you if you could do it. Yeah. You can't sit for that long. <laughs> no. My bladder does not work that long, so... All right, but no, seriously, Oppenheimer. It is hands down. I've been looking forward to this since the day it was announced last year. It was this is our first Christopher Nolan film that we've done on the Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies. I went back and double checked my math just to make sure, but this is our first venture into the Nolan verse. And you know what? I'm excited about this. So let's just dive right into this. Let's look at the Rotten Tomato score. As of this recording, we've got a 94% critic score. At a 94% audience score, 9494. Ooh. Yeah. So, like I said, I think that might be one of the highest ones he's ever had on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I'd have to go back and do some more digging on that. But this is definitely going to be in the conversation for a best picture nomination without question. Do you agree? For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Definitely the, the cast, Cillian Murphy, for sure. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., for sure, definitely going to be nominated for Academy Awards. Matt Damon, I'm pretty sure he's going to be the dark horse in this race. He might sneak in with a, with a supporting actor nomination. He could. He might. I think he might sneak one in. Definitely, I definitely think Robert Downey Jr. is going to get a supporting actor nomination. I think he definitely is going to definitely get one. But obviously, Cillian Murphy will definitely get a best support, not best supporting actor. He will definitely get a best actor nomination without question. He is amazing in this movie. 
yeah, he was Oppenheimer in this movie. Like, he really dedicated himself to the role, like, basically starving himself from what, you know, some tidbits I've read online, like Matt Damon said, they invited him out to dinner with the cast every night and every night he declined. And she was like, and Emily Blunt was like, yeah, I think he just stayed in his room and like ate an almond for dinner or something. Like he was so thin, like probably unhealthily, but it was just kind of playing into the role. Like that was what Oppenheimer was doing. Like he was so, you know, into this work, just like would forget to eat, I guess. Yeah. Let's talk about, before we get into the plot real fast, I want to talk about one thing. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan is a very eccentric man. We we learned a lot from the last venture, Tenet, that he is very particular about his movies. He, his movies are designed for the big screen. He does not like his movies to be shown at home. That's why we would all learned during the pandemic that he was like, you must go to the theater to see my film. Damn the virus, you know? You must go. And the movie tanked to the box office for it. Uh, almost killed Which movie one? theater. Tenet. Oh, and then when we could watch it at home, it was awful at home. <laughs> yeah. My my subwoofer almost died. Do you remember that little experience, Min? Yes, I remember it well. And I was like nauseated because the bass was so reverberating throughout the room. I was like, oh, it's so loud. Like that's yeah. all I can hear is bass. I couldn't make out any dialogue. No. It's it was, ridiculous. It was, it was, do you know, honestly, like I'd like to go back. I've reconfigured my my theater room. I would like to go back and rewatch it to see like maybe if there was a maybe there's a setting that we missed. Maybe you go right ahead. <laughs> but watching Oppenheimer, it's not a bassy film in terms of like tenant. There was a lot of mo- moments where I could tell there's going to be some subwoofer moments and when we watch it at home, when this comes to home theater. But for the most part, other than the big bangs when the bomb goes off and so forth, obviously, spoiler alert, there's a Tommy bomb blast in this movie. There are some moments where there's some rumbling moments and there's some things. I guarantee that's going to be another one of those cases where it's going to be tenant in my home theater again, where it's going to be the subwoofer is going to give a workout. And I think that's a design by Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan hates subwoofers. Oh, well, yeah, that's really evident in his bodies of work, for sure. I I wrote down, actually, I mean, I'm not going to jump into the notebook yet, but one of the things I wrote down was that I could feel the sound. Like when he was having those visions, it was so reverberating even in the IMAX theater we were at that I could just feel it like pulsing in the room. So that's crazy. Yeah, Yeah. 100% agree. I can't imagine that at our home theater. (laughs) (laughs) Be knocked back into the wall, I guess. All right. All right, basic plot of Oppenheimer. I'll keep this very short. If you have not ever picked up a history book. Okay, basic plot centers around J. Robert Oppenheimer and his early years as a brilliant physicist. Now he is later recruited by the United States government to create the first atomic bomb. Another story that runs parallel to the basic plot is the story of how there were forces at work during the 1950s during the Red Scare to paint Oppenheimer as a communist and a sympathizer of the Soviet Union in an effort to discredit and humiliate him. The story is told, as in all Nolan films, in a non-linear format. Yeah, like I would probably summarize it as J. Robert Oppenheimer defending his life's work in front of a committee after he had already become the father of the atomic bomb. Yeah, that's like, pretty funny. That's yeah. basically what he's doing. Like, they go back and forth between that, and that's basically like he's retelling what had happened in yeah. my mind. Yeah, that's that's a fair assumption. I, 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 can, I can live with that. Yeah. All <laughs> right. 
So I've talked enough now. I've probably rambled for a good, nice 10 minutes. So let's just go ahead and get into the good stuff. Mindy, let's go to The Notebook. See what I did then? You hypnotized him. No, I used this. This is the most important piece of equipment you will ever own. This notebook has saved my skin more times than I care to mention. You should think about using yours more often. I do use mine. Show me. That's just extraordinary. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a three-hour film, and I took... Uh, I won't say that I took three pages of notes. They are scattered across three pages, but that's because it was dark and I couldn't really see what I was doing. But I, I do have quite a bit to go through, so I'll just hit kind of some of my higher points here. So one of the things we already kind of touched on a little bit is that I could feel the sound. So he was having these visions where it was like he could see the bomb kind of happening or like molecules floating around and like matter just moving and changing and swirling and like everything else would just become a blur around him. And he would just have these like crazy little visions and like you could feel the pulsating from this sound. So that's that's what I wrote down. Yeah, that was a good way to start the movie. You basically set the tempo. Basically, you're going to get these bombardments of sound and visions, like these little micro micro bursts of just these sensations. I would thought that was a great way to start the film. Yeah, so it was like you, yeah, it happened pretty straight away and then kind of a few more times throughout the film. So that was interesting. Um, he While he was talking to one of the other scientists, they were, when he was studying abroad, um, he met this other guy who was also from New York and he was like, oh, I was, I, I didn't quite catch all of your lecture because it was in Dutch. He was like, I didn't know you speak Dutch. And he was like, oh yeah, I just learned it like six weeks ago. And he was like, what? You learned enough Dutch in six weeks to give a lecture in Dutch on quantum physics? And he was like, yeah, I like to give myself a challenge. <laughs> I was like, Wow. <laughs> And then he told somebody, you know, here's some foreshadowing. He told one of his friends when he, so him and his brother had some property out in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And he's, he told somebody kind of early on in the film, he thought if he could combine physics and New Mexico, he would be so happy. And so obviously he gets to do that later, but I don't know if that turned out real happy for him, you know. Um, and then I wrote down, so it's funny. So we looked up. In case we needed to go to the bathroom, AMC has these run pee little snippets. <laughs> because we know it was a three-hour film. So we looked up ahead of time. And so one, so I just kind of remembered the phrases. So when they said them in the movie, I was like, huh, nope, don't have to go yet. And so one of them was Opp Oppenheimer couldn't run a hamburger stand. So I just thought that was a funny little bit they, they did in there. And then so they're talking about the atomic bomb him and this other scientist, I can't remember which one. And he, maybe it was Hans. And he said, I've done all these calculations and the chances that we're going to set the world on fire in this amazing chain reaction that will basically destroy the world, they're near zero. <laughs> and Oppenheimer was kind of like thrown back at that point. He was like, oh, well, gosh, wish, I mean, theory only gets you so far. And so later when he tells Matt Damon's character, General Groves, he was like, yeah, it's like near zero. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> and it was like the day before they were supposed to like test it. And he was like, wow, I really wish it was zero. <laughs> but, <Yep>. you know. <laughs> yeah. So. 
but yeah scientists don't believe in 100 percent. yeah 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 and yeah. they can't because it's theory they have they have to prove it yeah. first so yeah i get that yeah and then <laughs> they were talking about one of the scientists leaving um los alamos the project and general groves or oppenheimer and one of them said aren't you worried about his discretion out there and he's like nah i can just have him killed and he's like just kidding but i was like oh no he really was kidding but good thing that guy didn't leave the, the base <laughs> yeah i don't think to be honest with you i mean I, I i don't think he really was kidding yeah no he, di he didn't seem like he was really yeah 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 and then later they tell you that this cost two billion with a b as in boy two billion dollars to make and oppenheimer says well you can't really put a price on it and general groves was like yeah you can you just add up all the receipts like <laughs> we've added it up and this is how much money it costs <laughs> so let's see okay so then they're getting ready to set off the test to to see if all their hard work so later they say it took three years 4,000 people and $2 billion to make this. So after all this time, they're finally going to test this and they have three different spots where people can kind of observe, you know, like base camp East and wherever I can't remember. And so they were looking at it on the map and they said, well, are these safe distances? And so he was like, well, these are based on your calculations. So it's literally time to stand behind your work. <laughs> so do you think now that your calculations are right? <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was funny. And like yeah. some of them were like in a car and like they all had to like, they couldn't look directly at it. They had to look through like welding glass and like one of the scientists like smeared, um, uh, what was that called? The uh, UV sunscreen. Yeah, like sunscreen on Oliver's yeah. face because he was like, I don't know what, you know, I don't want to get burned. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was crazy. And then so the night, of course, the night before they're set to do this test, or maybe it was the day they were going to do it and they had to delay. This huge thunderstorm rolls through the desert, of course, and they're like, what the hell? We've got to get to this information to the president in the morning. At the Potsdam conference. Yeah. And so he was like, well it's going to be fine. Oppenheimer's like, Oh, I, I know this desert, you know, it's going to, it's going to get colder overnight and bam, it'll be done by morning. They're like, okay, we're going to have to do it. But they're like monitoring the conditions and they have already hoisted this bomb up this huge tower. And so, and it's like lightning and torrential rain. And somebody's like, Hey, um, it might be time to get them away from the steel tower with the atomic bomb attached to it. <laughs> they're like, Oh yeah. Right. And, so which really wouldn't have mattered anyway because you have to actually initiate a, a fusion reaction to to, to to initiate an atomic bomb it i mean don't get me wrong i mean it, it sounds in theory like you know lightning would start a, a, a would trigger an atomic blast it doesn't work like that it you it's a fission bomb it's i mean yeah. i could i could explain a fission reaction but i would take but nobody wants to hear that exactly <laughs> okay so, okay, so they go and they, the next morning, of course, the skies clear up, they're able to do their test. And this was probably, I mean, this is the moment you're waiting for in the movie, right? The whole movie is about Oppenheimer and his life and how he developed the atomic bomb. And so this is like the key moment of the film. And it was really like one of the coolest parts. So he's down in this little bunker. He's got this little slit he can see out with these crazy goggles on so he doesn't, you know, get blinded. And when the bomb goes off, it's so quiet. 
for all the time that you're seeing the bomb drop, the explosion, the fire, you know, tower of fire and just everything. It's so quiet. All you can hear is Oppenheimer breathing. And then it's everybody's like, yay, you know, and you think, oh, they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, use, they're not going to show you the blast. You know, they're not going to let you hear the blast. And it's like, bam, <laughs> like, of yeah. course they are. But it was like this delayed reaction. <laughs> so yeah. it was, that I thought that was like visually and like sound wise, like that was like, Probably the key moment of the film. I think that's another one of those things. Is I think Oppenheimer will be will win an Academy Award for best sound. Could could be nominated for sure. I think I think it will win the best sound. I that uh, there was a lot of moments in that movie that were definitely sound Academy Award sound quality worthy. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and then so he had told his wife, if all goes well. I'll let you know to bring in the sheets. That'll be our code word, basically. That'll be our code phrase. So he has one of the secretaries call the house when it went well and told her to bring in the sheets, and she knew it had went off without a hitch. It was it was good. Can I ask you a question? I don't know if this is in your notes, so I'm just going to bring it up before I forget. I know you love Emily Blunt. I know you're a huge I fan. I love Emily Blunt. I know you're a big fan of hers. Do you think she was used well in this movie? Oh yeah, we we talked about this on the way home. She was severely under uh, in uh, in my opinion, our opinion, severely underutilized in this film. Like she is an amazing actor and she was just like this drunk housewife that was depressed and had fits. Like I don't know, she just she didn't have a lot of screen time really, and when she did, it was like neglecting her baby and I don't know. It, it, yeah, I just thought she could have yeah. I I thought she could have been. I think the only I think the only time she really had a moment to shine was basically in the scene where she was being interrogated in the in the in the meeting. Other than that, I feel like she was just there. Yeah, she just existed. Yeah, and even then, like she started out real shaky, like because I mean, she they showed like she had a flask in her purse, like she clearly drank a lot, and like she started off kind of real mousy. And like one word answers. And then finally it was like a switch flipped. (laughs) And she started kind of getting back at the, at the guy that was interrogating her, questioning her in this meeting. It was like a hearing to uh, renew or deny Oppenheimer's security clearance. And so they were calling all these witnesses and yeah. So I thought that was, I mean, that was her only moment that she really shined is then. And so when she finally started talking back, she was like, well, you know what? I don't like that phrase. I'm not going to answer that question, you know, and if this, that, and the other. So she she did a great job there. But I did think that they could have used her better, the, mm-hmm. the script. But, I mean, the script is Oppenheimer. So it's more about him, but still. Yes. Fair enough. Um, the other cool part I wrote down, uh, we talked about this on the way home, too. There were so many good little snippet parts for pretty big actors like Gary Oldman playing yeah. President Truman. Which is a cameo. Yeah. It's actually was, apparently it was a hush-hush cameo. Oh. Uh, nobody was supposed to know about that. It was not put in, in the press releases. It was supposed to be like the, there's it's the super secret cameo. And it was, was Gary Oldman playing Harry Truman. Yeah. So that it was a big surprise. In fact, you could hear it in the audience. It was like, Gary Oldman. Yeah, I was like, ooh, Gary Oldman. Yeah, I wrote that down. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so like I said, 
the most of the story is kind of built around this hearing that they're having. It's a closed hearing on purpose. They, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Louis Strauss, was basically out for Oppenheimer. Like he burned him, you know, six years before that or eight years ago. Uh, you know, before all this happened and he never forgave him. And he's like, you know what? We're just, we're done with this guy. So he orders this closed hearing, you know, no press, no, nobody's allowed, no stage for him to kind of shine because at the time he was like on the cover of time magazine. He was the father of the atomic bomb. He, you know, was using this influence to help kind of shape policy and using that as political influence to help kind of control this, giant thing that he created like he didn't want it to go too far and so he was trying to use his influence to that and robert downey jr's character was like nope let's shut that down so he orders this closed hearing and what's terrible is the defense counsel didn't have access to like any of the discovery documents because they're all classified i'm like what a load of crap i mean that's obviously that's set up for failure right there it was like ugh made you so mad because they'd be like oh they had this giant notebook like full of documents classified documents i mean it was probably you know six to eight inches thick this big binder and they would be like oh yeah on page 11 paragraph three and he's like well what what are you saying i mean i don't even know what that says and yeah you can't know that it's classified so that whole scene was i mean that whole trial or hearing was just such a setup and obviously yeah, yeah obviously he didn't get a security clearance so yeah yeah. Um, and then, so then you think, okay, so Robert Downey Jr. character, Louis Strauss, he thinks also, like, he, Oppenheimer kind of embarrassed him in front of everybody about wanting to, like, export isotopes, and he, you know, made a funny thing about it, like, he didn't know what he was talking about, and no, we shouldn't do that. And then he also thinks that he, like, turned Albert Einstein against him, like, at the institute that Strauss ran, like, op he brought Oppenheimer on to be, like, the director and run it, and, like, Eisen or um, Einstein was already there. And the first day he goes out to the pond, he's like, Oh yeah, I already know him. You know, uh, I, I know. Cause he's like, Oh, I'd love to introduce you. And he's like, Oh yeah, I already know him. We've known each other for years. And so he goes over there and then Robert Downey Jr.'s character walks over, Strauss walks over and he's like, Oh, good morning, Albert or whatever. And he just like blew past him and didn't say anything. And he's like, man, what did he say to this guy? And so, like, kind of the whole movie, you're thinking, what did he say to Einstein? Yeah. And then somebody brings up a point later, like, one of his staff members, it kind of seemed like he turned on him at the end, like, probably turned and, like, told people what he was up to. He was like, what if it had nothing to do with you at all? You know what I mean? Like, maybe not everything's about you. And it wasn't. So later they tell him, because in the middle of the Manhattan Project, he had brought him this formula this calculation and he said hey can you check this because i'm afraid that we're going to be starting this chain reaction of all these neutrons like exploding with each other that's going to set the world on fire and just destroy the whole planet the whole world and he's like oh that would be awful and so when he sees him <laughs> <laughs> when he sees him absolutely yeah that would be yeah awful. that'd be awful we shouldn't do that <laughs> so when he sees him at the at the institute later, he tells him, "Hey, remember that calculation I showed you? And I thought we were setting off this chain reaction that was going to destroy the world." And he was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Yeah, I think we did it." And he didn't mean it in like the scientific sense, like they were literally setting the world on fire, but he was trying to communicate. And anyway, I took it. The atomic bomb was like 
what he thought was going to set off this chain reaction to just everybody keep building and building and building the, until they destroy each other, destroy the, the world. The nuclear holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. No, so he's that's, right. that's what he said. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Yeah. Okay, and then so in the end, the last thing I'll say here. So in the end, years later, because they all look real old, Oppenheimer finally gets like a presidential award. So he's at the White House getting this award. And this one of the scientists, Hans, I think his name was, who had testified against him basically during this hearing to get a security clearance, came over and and he shook his hand. Like he said all this crappy stuff about him, about, you know, how he shouldn't have a security clearance and all this crap he did. And then he shook his hand as he was leaving the room. And when he told his wife that, he's like, you should, she was like, you shook his hand? I would have spit in his face. And so when he gets his presidential award, that guy, that Hans guy is there and he goes to shake Oppenheimer's hand. I think he shakes it, but then he goes to shake Mrs. Oppenheimer's hand and she just kept her little hands together like, no, sir, I will not shake your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought, man. I was like, spit in his face, spit in his face. But I was like, well, you're kind of at the White House. I guess that's yeah. kind of frowned upon there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. There's a, there's a, one of the things, like I said, I, I know enough about history to know, like I said, Kennedy had a real hard on for, for Oppenheimer and see, I mean, he didn't live to see him get the award, but uh, to see Lyndon Johnson give Oppenheimer that award, you know, for political, kind of as a, kind of a good faith political rehabilitation award, you know, it was, it was a huge deal. But that, I felt that was really good that they gave it that in the they showed that at the end of the movie. I thought that was a real, really classy bit that Nolan did. Oh yeah. So I will just say one other thing. I I skipped over it. So Strauss is also in this confirmation hearing because he's trying to be secretary of something. I can't remember. It wasn't war. Uh, Thomas. Thomas. Commerce, yeah. So he's trying to get confirmed in the Senate hearing, and they're asking him all these questions about Oppenheimer. And this is like years after his security clearance was denied. And so they're kind of trying to backtrack and find out, you know, what happened here? What did he know? So it comes out that he was the one that, you know, sabotaged it. He's the one that appointed these jackasses to run the, you know, hearing and did all this stuff to basically set it up where Oppenheimer would fail. And then when they say he's thinking he tells his staffer and he's like, no, I think we still got it. I think we're going to eke by. I think we have enough votes for you to be confirmed. And so his staffer finds out this whole time that, that Strauss has been playing the other side and doing all this stuff in the back. I think he turned on him and told them what was going on because then so they came back and he was like, did I get it? And he was like, and all these reporters were outside this, you know, big office with windows, you know, in it. And he's like, did we, did I get it? And he was like, just missed it by three votes. It was, it was done by this little Senator from Massachusetts named John F. Kennedy. And the whole theater was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good part. It's like, yeah, you didn't get it. You know, one thing I will say this before we jump off that subject is one thing that, that was really cool is um, the character, David Hill who is a key figure in American history, a little known, little known uh, physicist um, played by Rami Malek, who, who I, for a minute, I was like, is that Rami Malek? I, yeah. I, you I actually said, leaned over and said, is that the guy who played Freddie Mercury? And I was like, yes. <laughs> who won the Academy award. Yeah. And then kind of went off the radar a little bit. Then was a, then was a bond villain. 
in No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. And then again went off the radar. And then all of a sudden it showed up in this kind of supporting role. And I'm like, he comes, and then he just comes into this movie and drops pretty much one of the coolest mic drop moments in the whole movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In my opinion, I mean, he just he comes out of nowhere. And I mean, obviously, I know what happens because I, I know enough about the history. But for the people who aren't familiar, he comes in just like he just comes down, and just literally like drops the mic in front of everybody, and was like the whole theater was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, at Strauss's confirmation hearing, his side was like, "Oh yeah, Doctor Hill's coming up. He's gonna be for us. He's gonna help us out here. Definitely on our side." And he goes up there, and he just was like, "Yeah, no. All the scientists think that Strauss is a liar and a manipulator, and he doesn't deserve to be." And they're like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, "Yeah, yeah. Screw that guy." Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. I think that's why Robert Downey Jr. will get the nomination because he did so well at that. That role like we hated that guy yeah and it's like everybody loves robert downey jr because of the marvel movies he's become like america's like favorite you know one of his favorite actors to see him play a role where he's like just completely detested is so rare yeah you know awesome. all right well that's the end of the notebook let's go to our final conclusions mindy what is a one star bloody awful two stars bloody uninspired three stars Bloody average. Four stars. Bloody brilliant. Well, you seem to have some sort of 4.5 star. So what is that? <laughs> no, only when needed. I only do <laughs> have stars when I need to. <laughs> All right, then what's a four star? I said four star was bloody brilliant. A five star? Bloody marvelous. All right, Mindy, you go first. Gee, I wonder what you're going to give it. Um, so I did enjoy this movie more than I thought I would. I knew we were going to go see it because Derek was very excited. It's all he's been talking about for probably a year. I don't know. He loves Christopher Nolan. And there's just like no way we're not going to go see this movie. On a side note, audience, I would like to relay my disappointment in IMAX theaters everywhere for not having reclining seats. And I'm just going to throw that out there because it really pissed me off again that we went and saw an IMAX movie and I had to sit there for three hours with no reclining seat. So I'm spoiled. It's fine. What did you do in theaters before there were reclining seats? I don't know. I was young and I was more comfortable. Now I'm older. I need to be comfy. Finish your conclusion. <laughs> okay. So in conclusion, <laughs> I like this movie more than I thought I would. Derek kept telling me, oh, everybody says that three hours just flies right by. And I was like, okay, we'll see. But it really did. Like, it was very fast paced. There was a lot of talking. There wasn't like a moment where I thought, oh, this is a lull. You know, I could go to the bathroom or, you know, stare off into space or whatever. Like, it was very fast paced. It was packed in with content. Like, it, it was very good. Um, Cillian Murphy, I think, too, will definitely get nominated for an Oscar. He did amazing in this role. And it, it was it was a good film. So I am giving it four stars. Bloody brilliant. All right. The Ball Nation, I have been walking forward to this movie since the day it was announced. I worship World War II history. I worship Christopher Nolan. Uh, this movie exceeded every expectation I had. I saw it in IMAX because that is, it was shot in IMAX cameras. And folks, I wholeheartedly tell you from the bottom of my heart, it, go see this movie immediately. It is 
Cillian Murphy is incredible. You truly stop believing that he's an actor portraying a role. You truly believe that he is J. Robert, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer on screen. Uh, Leslie Gro- General Leslie Groves is on screen. Matt Damon portrayed him so well. Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr., you truly believe that he's on screen. Uh, even Florence Pugh, that sex scene was so tastefully done. Uh, even, <laughs> I, I was like, wait a minute, Christopher Nolan's doing sex scenes now? Even I was like, you know, just you didn't even bother you. I was like, right on, man. Get get your groove on there, Oppenheimer. So you know what? <laughs> the best part about it was every character actor in the world is in this movie. There is not one person in this movie who's not a character actor who's not in this movie. Such Anybody who? Tony Goldwyn, Matthew Modine, um, James D'Arcy, uh, Jason Clark, Jason Clark, who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, Casey Affleck is in this movie. J- J- Josh oh, Hartnett. Oh, Josh yeah. Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. We haven't even talked about him. But I know. Yeah, he, he, was great. He, he was he great was in this. Too. Tom Carty, who, who played the, the Academy Award nominated Tom Carty, who played Albert Einstein. He's only had like four scenes. He's in it. I mean, everybody who's, who's a character actor is in this movie. And it was just such a great movie. And he tells you exactly just how great an in-demand a role that Christopher Nolan is, that everybody wants to work with him. But it doesn't matter how small a role it is, people are like, give it to me. I'll take it. You know? That shows you just how great egos are checked at the door. But someone, it doesn't matter how small the role is, doesn't show you how big of a, an actor they are, they'll take the role just to work with Nolan. Yeah, so, I actually... I actually read a little tidbit, a fun fact, before we get to your conclusion, that said Matt Damon was actually taking a break from acting as a promise to his wife with one condition that it would go on hold if Christopher Nolan called. (laughs) So he was like, I'm just going to take a little break. And, you know, he agreed, you know, to take a break. And then he was like, except for if Christopher Nolan calls. And then, of course, he did. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 100% 100% agree. I can't wait to see what Chris Nolan comes up with next. Uh, I'm I'm hearing rumors he might direct the next Shane Bond film. And if that's true, bring it the hell on. This movie, I give it five, five, five stars. Bloody marvelous. And I can't give it enough five stars. There were if not he could give three. it more than five stars, he would definitely give it more 5. than five stars. 5.5 stars. <laughs> Bloody <laughs> no. marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in again for another fantastic episode of Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies. We, of course, want to turn your attention to our fantastic sponsor, BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's betterhelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show for 10% off your first month of therapy. I also, of course, want to turn your attention to our other sponsor, tpublic.com. And, of course, we have a fantastic selection of magnets, stickers, and mugs, plus a great selection of T-shirts that Mrs. Duvall and I selected ourselves. So go to our website, DerekDevalsher.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Public. and we want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. So on behalf of myself and Mrs. Duvall, you keep listening to them, and we'll keep making them. Until next time. We'll, we'll see, see you at the, the movies, movies, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website. DerekDuvallShow.com to explore past episodes and find links to purchase merchandise. Please subscribe to our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Derek Duvall Show.